0: So my income went from three hundred thousand to two hundred thousand. I'm actually winning. I mean, I'm actually growing my team. Is that how they should be looking at it?
1: Uh, you're kind of treading water there. Sorry, by, by the numbers. So if you go down thirty-five percent, you're trending with the same market share, right? So let's say you have whatever one percent of the market, which that would be phenomenal if you did. But you have, you have your chunk of the market. You're taking your your sliver of the pie, and the entire pie has has shrunk by thirty-five percent. So if you go from three hundred to two hundred, you actually have the same size of the pie. You're taking the same amount out of it. Um, if you're able to maintain 300,000, you're going to feel like, and this is, I learned this, you know, the hard way in 08, um, I would tell people I'm working twice as hard to make the same amount of money. And and I would say that to, to gripe. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm working twice as hard to make the same amount of money. But actually it's what had to be done. Right now you have to work one and a half times as hard to make the same amount of money because you have to now take one and a half and a half pieces of pie whereas you only have to take one piece of pie before if that if that makes sense five yeah. smaller
0: so the question is this how do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves so that's the question and this podcast will give you the answer I interview agents from all over the world. I ask them their tactics and they share all of their secrets with me so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, today I'm interviewing Eric Bramlett with Bramlett Residential out in Austin, Texas. This is kind of going to be like a state of the market update type interview. Eric and I did a, a great interview. I want to say eight months ago back in September, it was kind of middle of like kind of the funky market. We got to talk about inspiration, about growing market share during these times. And we made some bold predictions of what we thought was going to happen with interest rates and things like that. And we thought it would be a good time to come back and kind of check in, check in on what that plan has been with like that theme of like what to do in a down market, how to succeed during a down market, like what to do, what not to do, all sorts of stuff. So Eric, thanks for coming back.
1: Thanks, Aaron. uh, Really great to see you again. Had a lot of fun on the last show and really looking forward to today. Thanks.
0: Yeah. The, I've been seeing so much of the, like the data that you've been pushing out online kind of doing, you know, doing like different reporting and charts, you know, what is, what's happening with, before we jump into the rest, like Austin real estate right now, like volume levels, median home prices. And how does it compare to where you thought it would be when we were talking like eight months ago?
1: Yeah. Um, so Austin real estate, the, the best way to describe it is it's okay or meh would be another way to sort of describe it. There is demand in the market, meaning that uh, there are plenty of buyers in the market that are buying, um, but the buying power has gone down pretty considerably. And that's obviously due to mortgage rates going up. Uh, Year-to-date year to volume, meaning the, the dollar amount that's sold in the market is down 36%. Right now uh, versus this time last year. Uh, that's pretty striking. You have to remember that the downturn started in Q2 last year. So we're comparing year to date of a sluggish market uh, to uh, the previous year, which was a really, really phenomenal market. Um, predictions I don't know when I became an optimist, Aaron. I'm not, not really sure because I've been cynical my whole life and skeptical, but <laughs> I was pretty optimistic last year. You know, I, I don't think that uh, the sky is falling. Uh, aficionados were correct. And I don't think that my rosier prediction was correct. I didn't think these were going to be phenomenal this year or anything like that. I thought rates would be in the fives or so. Um, I was following Barry Habib and you know, he got close, but we're at, we're at six and a half right now. Um, and I thought that, that uh, the hiring wouldn't slow down like it has. So for Austin specifically, uh, the hiring slowdown is what's affecting us, I would say as much as mortgage rates.
0: So, and when you're saying hiring, and I'm, I'm kind of pulling up some Austin stats as you're talking, uh, over so we could, I could review some stuff. But when you're saying hiring, it's like just one of the things that, that makes Austin, Austin is the business core, the downtown, like how many people are coming to Austin? And are you saying that's the thing that, that is, has been big, like more tech layoffs than we were, than you were kind of predicting? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, the layoffs hit pretty early and, uh, anecdotally, it doesn't seem like there have been a ton of layoffs from the blue chick companies, from the, the you know, the fangs um, in Austin, at least. But what has been really striking is that there's really a hiring freeze. So you can actually go to any metro in the U.S. Uh, on Indeed. You can go to Indeed Insights and you can look at the number of job job postings on a, on a monthly basis. And I look at that year over year because uh, hiring is seasonal, just like real estate is seasonal. And the... Month of April 2023, the number of job postings for the Austin Metro was down 30% versus 2022. Uh, the month of March, it was down 22%, uh, and don't quote me on this, but I believe the month of February was down 17%. So it's not trending in the direction that we would like to see it go. We'd like to see that flatten out, and then the year-over-year year change to start kind of you know going back towards zero, and then hopefully start increasing again after that. Um, not to be too wordy, but to your point, Austin's. Constant has been our phenomenal economy and our phenomenal job market, and uh, you know there's a hiring slowdown across the United States. We're no exception, and that's really what's what's hurting us right now.
0: Indeed, insights. I think that's um, that's fascinating, and it's almost a direct correlation with like uh, sales volume, gross sales volume. You you said we're down 35 percent to uh, listings year over year. I look at a lot of data. I haven't looked at the hiring data on LinkedIn. I'm going to check that out, and I think for you know, na- nationally, because I look at, I also try to invest nationally. Most of my stuff is in Central Texas. But right now, as I'm like, you know, I've been posting some stuff of, hey, we're, you know, we're down in these states, we're up in these states, and we're considering kind of expanding into other areas again, like Fayetteville, Arkansas, like just some random places where we've seen job growth. But like, it's good to know there's places that actually go for that data. So people can be going to look and say like, is our jobs going up or down right now?
1: Yeah, and, and you know, the jobs data that we've always looked at in the past was uh, just unemployment rate. You know, you can look at that nationally, you can look at it locally. Um, I feel like the unemployment rate is uh, misrepresenting the true job market because it's incredibly low and you can't find employees uh, for like lower hourly jobs. So, you know, there's uh, close to my house, there's a McDonald's that has a a perpetual sign-up. They're offering 18 bucks an hour now for people to work there. Um, So they can't find those jobs, but it feels like the jobs um, that people want, like that home buyers get, that's what's really taken a hit. And that syncs really well with what we're seeing in the news. Um, but yeah, to go to your point, yeah. I, I mean, Fayetteville, Arkansas, really, really cool place. My, my wife went to college there. And it would be really interesting to see what the, the job data looks like trending over, say, the past five years or so. It's there. It's on Indeed.
0: So Yeah. I'm going to go check that stuff out. It's like the, the home of Walmart and other things as they were growing. When I look at, like, Austin from last year, it really is interesting looking at it right now because peak median price in Austin, if you're looking at Redfin Data Center, was may 22nd right so we are just at a year so when we're talking sales volume down we are comparing the highest it's ever been to today and when i look back at like median price over the past like six months you know we're starting to see a little bit of a spike um you know maybe i'll can i share my screen on this thing for a second let's see if i can find the right there it is so looking at like um austin data right so median sales price here we are so like May, we had a, a median sales price of 573,000. We've kind of been hovering at this like $450,000 amount since the beginning of, of the year. And so that's the number that I've been saying. I'm surprised that we are now kind of seeing a, a little bit of an uptick. So median price at 470 today compared to 450 a couple months ago, but still down year over year, kind of that big, uh, that big 30% change. And we are essentially at. We can see this price crossing. We're at um, 2021 numbers now. right? So like any of the, you know, the, the money that was gained uh, during that time is now, um, uh, you know, anything that you bought from 2021 to now, you're kind of even on. So if you bought something after May 2021, it's a good chance you're somewhat upside down or it's worth a little bit less. Now, real estate cycles are long, right? And as we're trying to like, you know, stay motivated, we need to remember that. But one of the things that I really got out of the last time you, you and I talked, was that idea for markets down 35% in Austin volume. So if your income is down by less than 35%, right? If you were a $100,000 earner, a $200,000 earner, a $300,000 earner a year ago, if you're down, if you went from 300 to 200, you are actually increasing market share. You know, you're actually doing better, um, than that. And th- that's a big number to think about, right? Like, so my income went from 300,000 to 200,000. I'm actually winning. I mean, I'm actually growing my team. Is that how they should be looking at it?
1: Uh, you're kind of treading water there, sorry, by, by the numbers. So if you go down 35%, you're trending with the same market share, right? So let's say you have whatever, 1% of the market, which that'd be phenomenal if you did. But you have, you have your chunk of the market, you're taking your, your sliver of the pie and the entire pie has, has shrunk by 35%. So if you go from 300 to 200, you actually have the same size of the pie. You're taking the same amount out of it. Um, if you're able to maintain 300,000, you're going to feel like, and this is, I learned this you know, the hard way in 08, um, I would tell people I'm working twice as hard to make the same amount of money. And, and I would say that to, to gripe. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm working twice as hard to make the same amount of money. But actually it's what had to be done. Right now you have to work one and a half times as hard to make the same amount of money because you have to now take, one and a half pieces of pie, whereas you only have to take one piece of pie before. If that if that makes sense, the yeah. pie's smaller. Yeah.
0: One of the predictions that we made back in September was kind of that idea that that like buyer leads are out there. One of the, it was like, hey, if you if if you used to get ten leads at an open house and now you get two, well, that's par for the course. It was that idea of trying to get everybody in the mindset that right now you got to work a lot harder than you did before. You're going to get a fewer amount of leads. You got to be happy with what you get. But the other thing was the idea that the new leads. We're actually going to take longer to monetize because it's going to take people longer to be able to purchase, longer to get in there. Have you seen that? Are you are you seeing people that are now working with the same buyer for five, six months?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, um, and it's real easy to quantify it, right? The average days on market uh, a year ago was call it fourteen. Uh, it's sixty two days on market now. So most of the time, we think about sellers whenever we say, "Okay, average days on market." Hey guys, this is how long it's going to take you to sell this property so you have to service the listing you know for a much longer time what is that like t- four times the length um, but on the buyer side as well you know you hear a lot of buyers agents lament and say what can i do to get these guys off the fence well the on- answer is nothing like just hang with them there's a lot more to choose from now the madden like maddening sense of urgency that they had in 2021 and early 2022 is completely gone there's no sense of urgency now because there doesn't there doesn't need to be. They're going to shop for longer because they can. So what this means is that not only is the business shrunk, but it's going to take more time to earn that same commission on on every deal.
0: Yeah. You know, we're bringing flips to market that are like really empty entry level first time home buyer prices and those seem to be, you know, we're coming to the market at the bottom of the price point and we're getting offers on opening weekend. Right. And so it's showing us and and they're not crazy. We're not getting 20 offers, but we had like one that we brought out that we got, you know, two full price offers right when it came out. But then but the funny thing was, you know, both of them kind of lost interest within a few days. It was almost like they, they saw it on. They wanted to write the offer. We accept one. They do, they do an inspection and then both of them were kind of like like that one canceled and the backup buyer was like, we're not really interested anymore. So I think it's almost like they had that sense of urgency, right but now they're also mixed of, is this a good decision for me or not? Is this the right time? There's so much diff- different things like everyday kind of news changes. So the bottom part of the market though. Overall, on our sales volume, we're seeing if we bring something to market priced well that a first-time home buyer doesn't have to put money in to fix it, we're selling it. And that's yeah. going well. And that's kind of surprising because in some of those markets, there's like five, six months of inventory um, built up. What are you seeing on like the luxury side in Austin? Like a, a buddy of mine you know, just brought a house to market, beautiful house to market. He listed his home for like $7 bucks, and he's three weeks in, no, no showings right? And, this, and, and it's a beautiful property that comps would say it's there. What are, what are you seeing now?
1: Yeah. So what we tell people is that the market usually recovers, heats up from the bottom up and the middle out, right? And um, that very much rings true in this case. The luxury market is very sluggish right now. It is moving. It's not, it's not completely still. Um, but there's a decent amount of inventory, depending on the submarket that you're in. I think you guys are in West Austin, probably Barton Creek area. There doesn't seem to be a glut of inventory there, but there is enough to choose from. Uh, and there's, there just are not a ton of buyers. If you think about the profile of the buyer, it makes a lot of sense, right? Generally speaking, somebody that's buying luxury, uh, they are going to buy on their own time frame. They're not buying because somebody transferred them or they had to, you know, take a new job or anything like that. Um, they're usually affected by interest rates because they leverage, you know, money in order to do everything. Right. Why would you not? Um, so their buying power went down there as well. And, uh, they generally have their money in investments. So the stock market hasn't recovered either. And while you can refi out of a bad interest rate, once you make a stock sell or you sell an investment low, you're not, you, you can't recoup that it's gone. Right? So, so those, you know, those three reasons right there, I think are the why, um, the why doesn't matter as much as just the fact that it is, you know, it is, it is very sluggish. Uh, the last luxury market I looked at was 04. That was a couple of days ago, 78704, uh, which is South Austin, Central Austin. And uh, whereas this time last year, there was like literally no properties on the market to buy in luxury price range. There were 15 that were on the market. They all had days on market of at least 60. Um, yeah. It just shows you that there's a lot of inventory out
0: there. A lot of inventory. You got to work harder. One of the predictions that I made, we put a a clip on on Instagram back in like September, October, was we were talking interest rates. And I said, I think the Fed's going to raise rates for another nine months, right? And then after that, they're going to, and right now we're coming up on that nine month deal. And so I I kind of reposted it and shared to like remind people, like we, we try to share everything live as we're figuring it out. And so at least the Fed raising rates um, prediction was right on, right. right, and the and kind of thinking. The next part of my prediction was it probably we probably wouldn't see the worst of the damage of those Fed rates for another nine months after that because of lagging data and things. What do you think about any of that? What do you think is next? Uh, have you uh, with like, the, you know, what what sort of other market conditions have you been thinking about? Whether it's Fed rate stuff, whether it's the dollar, whether it's inflation, anything that you've been researching, you think is going to impact real estate?
1: I think if you had to summarize, uh, it would be the CPI. Uh, so what, what, what's happening with inflation and then how competent do we feel the Fed is, right? Or how lucky do they get one, one of the two? Um, it were CPI report worries me a little bit just because it is trending in the right direction. And, uh, you know, it was only one month of data, but last month CPI showed only 0.1% of inflation on a month-over-month basis, which if you annualize that, that's only 1.2% annualized. But the Fed has not indicated that they were going to slow down. They didn't. And I think it would have been smart for them to take a pause on that last quarter point hike. Um, what it makes me think is that they will probably keep these rates high uh, for quite some time, probably through you know at least Q2 and Q3, potentially through the end of the year. Um, that's going to affect uh, you know when the market recovery starts. I'm, I'm not talking just the real estate market, but the jobs market, uh, mortgage rates, which will affect the real estate market. Um, so, it's I guess when you say research, it's really um, just kind of looking at the what I would consider the most impactful indicators, like the most impactful impactful uh, percentages, and then uh, and then just saying, okay, what, where does this lead, and what do we think the Fed is going to do? Because the Fed is the driver uh, behind this slowdown.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. The driver behind the slowdown. And the I remember, I remember clear as day back in like 07 when they did the first rate change and how everything kind of changed. And that's part of why I was so traumatized going into this one. Yeah. Hopefully the second half of my prediction that the Fed won't actually start lowering rates for another nine months after they see the rest of the damage isn't correct because that would push us into this kind of rough spin until like March of next year. Right. So the it's based on what I saw happen way back when. But we'll see. Uh, the first part of it, unfortunately, did come true with the raising of the rates. And we're seeing. Um, and, and for listeners, we're going to get into like some inspiration and action stuff. But I really <laughs> want to digest this uh, with Eric, because I know that we're both talking about it. and We don't get to chat with each other enough in person, but like we're focused on this stuff because at a, at a high level, I think it, it's really important. But so what about, so on office and development and things like that, I think that's where the biggest impact of these rates, uh, of the Fed rate changes, like even it affects real estate, right? It affects everything, but we're talking about now, like real estate's getting affected by jobs, the office market. Have you been following much of what's going on there and what the implications are with uh, how, how the Fed rates impact that, those sorts of loans and investments?
1: Only at the surface level, there's a, a podcast I listen to where where they discuss it. They're based out of the the Bay Area, which the office market's been decimated there. I think they said yeah. the occupancy rates, vacancy rates, thirty percent there right now. Um, and yeah, you know, Aaron, you'll you can speak to this a million times more intelligently than I can. Uh, I look at it and say, okay, yeah, if the if the rates stay high, uh, you know, the banks are either not going to refinance them, or they're going to refinance them into a loan that's just not economical, and we're going to start watching a lot of foreclosures happen. Um, I live in the residential world. Uh, I don't know that that bleeds over to residential very much. It obviously affects it a little bit. Anybody who operates in that space, they're not going to be making a lot of money, so they obviously are not going to move, move residential. Um, I, I'm curious to hear what you think about it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you think there's opportunity there. Uh, what, what do you think? What do you yeah. think?
0: Well, there's two, we've seen two different things on uh, recently, and one is I'm going I'm to jump to like multifamily first because it's still the residential tie, but I think it, it has to do with development. A lot of people buying properties, you know, t- between 24 months and 12 months ago, were buying, one, you know, 12 and 24 month like um, bridge loans, buying uh, buying apartment complexes with the idea that they are going to add value, they're going to increase rents, and they're going to refinance. And I've started to see several of those. I have had several people reach out to me and recently saw several foreclosures of like big investment funds where people had bought an apartment complex for 10 million bucks and they had a $7 million loan on it with had like a 12 month balloon and they just got foreclosed on and lost their 3 million in purchase equity uh, b- primarily because of two different things. One is when uh, the Fed raises rates, cap rates go up. And when cap rates go up value of properties go down so if somebody bought an apartment for ten million dollars you know a year ago at the worst time ever may 2022 right they buy an apartment for ten million dollars and it's getting valued at even a five cap well if seven if it's a, if it's worth a seven cap now if nothing else changes if it performed exactly the same right it was making you know five hundred thousand dollars a year it's still making five hundred thousand dollars a year. But at a seven cap, that means now it's only worth seven, you know, seven, seven million or or 700,000 instead of seven million instead of 10 million. So you're getting a 30% drop with a two point shift on cap rates. So that's on, on multifamily, which, and so when people are going to refinance, the lenders are saying whether the rate, whether it could cash flow at 7% or not, now they're saying, well, the best loan we can give you is 5 million and they had a bridge loan for seven. And nobody's excited about putting an extra $2 million into a property that they're already $3 million upside down on. So I'm seeing that in multifamily. I'm seeing that in development spaces because most of those loans are also tied directly to the Fed. Whereas the residential mortgage, like Barry, like the, the podcast, he was explaining other things that impact it. And it is true in the sense that residential mortgages haven't gone up at the same rate or the same price as the Fed. So it is slightly different. But with commercial and, and multifamily, it's directly tied in. Office space, I think is similar. I mean, if, if nothing else happened, cap rates went from a five cap to a seven cap or worse. I mean, I think it's probably more dramatic than that, but five to a seven is a good reasonable thing that I think most people can agree with. Like, yep. When rates were at at three, a five cap was normal. Now that the rates are higher, a seven cap is normal, but you got to realize so any asset out there that's based on a cap rate has lost 30% in value. And so when people are going to refinance those, I think it's rough. And I have continued to see. I don't know. I think the opportunity is going to be, you know, these properties that people are able to buy. Right. And But almost land bank, it reminds me of, you know, buying land in like 2010 and 2011 where we bought yeah. lots for like we bought some lots for $10,000 a piece. And we couldn't build on them for another five years because it still wouldn't have been profitable even getting the lots for free. And so I think there will be opportunities in that space. I wonder if there's going to have to be some, you know, repurposing or if, you know, office in three or four years will just come back. You think about downtown Austin, beautiful buildings, beautiful office buildings. I'm so impressed by them. I love going down there at night and just seeing them, but then realizing how many of them just aren't getting occupied right now. And if nobody's hiring, they're not going to get occupied anytime soon. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry. This one is only going to run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it, you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year, we were going to do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country. And that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody. And the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week. And in the during the pre-sales we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left. 10 spots left if you want to join us for the mastermind for next year we're putting the date so far out there you've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works you can put it in your calendar now and we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments so if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the mastermind have never pulled the trigger now's the time and it's for it's for march for next year but you got to go sign up now if you want that spot i don't like selling i don't like advertising so we figured we would knock it out quickly we'd knock it out you know this first couple of weeks in April for next year so instead of working on that we're going to focus on value if you do join the mastermind you're going to be a uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly Zoom calls where we do tactics on those calls they're really small there's like you know between 10 and 20 people on those so you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts so if you are interested in signing up go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind com forward slash mastermind go lock in your ticket we have less than 10 spots left you can break it up into four payments so that way it is much easier to to be sure to join and i promise you it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing you know the go abundance masterminds that i talk about that i'm a part of cost five times what we do for this and i try to deliver twice as much value all right back to the podcast
1: Yeah. And then, you know, the work from home scenario hasn't fully shaken itself out yet. I know that most employers are calling people back, but it's a hybrid environment. Usually three Dell uh, sent a uh, an announcement out a couple of days ago. Everybody has to come back to the office, but it's three days a week. So, um, you know, what is what will this look like in a couple of years uh, after we've learned all that we learned from the work from home experiment?
0: Yeah. So these in spite of all this, you've been growing your company, you've been recruiting I mean, and, and, and the reason I had you on last time and the reason I had you even come share at our mastermind in Austin to, to the people that, that flew out to Austin for that was that idea of, I love your story of you grow when it's slow, you keep going because as the, for people that didn't listen to our, our podcast, you know, back at the beginning of the year and last year, Eric from like 2009 to 2012, the market had like shrunk so hard. And he worked hard to grow market share, to grow market share, to grow market share, to like to be ready. And essentially, anytime we're in a recession or a down market like this, eventually it changes. And in 2012, when the market changed, Eric was the most ready. He was the most ready because he had been growing from 2009 to 2012. And, and then it felt like an overnight success in to, uh, 2012 because as the market came back on, he was ready to go get it, you know? And a lot of people that were waiting to grow again until 2011 or 2012, or people that like came back into real estate in 2012, they were behind because Eric had been like doing that framework. So what would you say for like, how are you keeping happy right now? How are you keeping your agents happy? Like as you're growing, you know, the are you, are you following kind of that same mindset that we were talking about back then?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the headline is you stay positive and productive. And if you do that, everything will work itself out. And so, you know, talk about productivity first, you have to take a hard look at what has worked for you in the past, and then you have to take a hard look at what is still working. And like you mentioned earlier, Aaron, you know, you're not, you won't get the same results with the same amount of effort today that you did last year. I mean, by definition, you're going to get at least a third less. I can go on big tangent about how it's probably less than that because of, you know, when there's shrinkage and same amount of agents, people work harder for leads. But But anyway, let's just say it's a third less. So you you identify what's still productive and you dial the volume up on that. You say, okay, great. Uh, It is open houses. I'm going to do 50% more open houses. Or it's cold calling. I'm gonna make 150 cold calls a day instead of 100. Uh, Or uh, I generally do two client appreciation parties a year. Um, I still have the money to have these and I'm gonna do three or four this year instead. So you take what's effective and you just dial it up and then you stay positive. And you have to continue telling yourself, look, this is normal. I'm working harder for the same amount of money, hopefully, right? You might be working harder for a little bit less money. And that mindset's incredibly important because you won't be able to stay productive if you don't stay positive. So whatever it is for you that keeps you positive uh, for me, it's grinding out, you know, miles on the bike. Um, that usually helps a whole lot. Helps that it's free too, right? I don't have to go. <laughs> yeah. have to go paper um, but but you keep a good mindset. You stay productive. And then uh, once you're stable, uh, you know, OK, my, my bills are going to be paid on time. Then you start looking for opportunities. All right. Great. Now that I'm stable, what can I do to start grabbing up some other market share? Um, most of your competitors are going to quiet quit. They're going to if they stay in the business, they're not going to work as hard. They're going to get, you know, uh, a, a negative attitude. They're not going to be productive because um, they're not seeing the same sort of easy business day the last couple of years. And that's an opportunity for you. That means that you can maybe take what is really productive for you. If you haven't completely maxed it out all the way, max it out as hard as you can. You know, if you can increase your SOI activities even more, do it even more. If you're doing, you know, four open houses a month and you think you can do six, do six. And then start looking in other locations, other areas, other avenues, experiments a little bit, but don't ever go all, go all in on anything until you know, certainly that it's going to work for you. And whenever you do that, that's whenever you'll see some growth in the downturn. But then when the market comes back, that's where you'll see massive growth. I mean, you'll see a year where you'll be up 50%, 100% whenever the market comes back.
0: Yeah. And it, and it, will, it will come back. In the, and it's anybody's prediction as, as when. I think one of the toughest parts about adjusting in a down market, too, is like knowing also like what system to walk away from. Meaning, like, I don't think anybody needs to give up on real estate right? Like we're like your professionals, you know, the market still the best industry in the world. And even when it slows down, maybe adjusting some lifestyle stuff, but growing market share because real estate is the one thing that we know, like what goes up, comes down and what goes down, goes up. Like it will happen. It will turn around again. And it will likely be when it's like, you know, when, when fed starts making impacts, something happens where there's a lot of money in the system again, after inflation gets fixed, then housing will become super exciting, for everybody again. But I think one of the tougher parts is, is as they're doing that analysis too. So like, okay, we do open houses, we do door knocking, we do letters, we do this depending on your market. And it's going to be different everywhere else. There's going to be a strategy that absolutely won't work right now. That's just out that like no longer works at all. And I think those are the tougher ones when we have those. I remember in 2012, when we were buying a bunch of off market stuff and we had, and there was a way that we were buying that had just completely dried up. And we kept trying for like seven months of like heavy investments and heavy overhead because we knew it was like fishing. And in the past, we'd have like these dry spells of like two or three weeks. And then we would get this huge lead that paid off everything. But it was the toughest to know, like to really have that transition where you go, this definitely worked really, really well for the last few years. And and, and it's just not working at all anymore. Have you seen anything in your, in your guys' stuff that you're like, hey, in this sort of a market, that lead gen just isn't working anymore it's just off the table for now, and we're going to essentially shift resources
1: yeah um well, the first surprise that I had um is that inbound marketing in general is down more than thirty five percent and it makes sense whenever you think about it, but it was a surprise it was a surprise to me so we do it we We have a pretty heavy marketing budget and we drive inbound phone calls inbound web inquiries um, and it makes sense because Uh, the agents who are out there that are still working, they've doubled down on their outbound. Uh, So whenever people are making outbound marketing, meaning they're making cold calls, they're uh, reaching out to the consumer, consumers have less reason to go find an agent. The agents are finding them, right? So that's Mm -hmm. a dynamic that I discovered this time. Um, So we had to look really hard at our marketing budget and uh, the campaigns that were marginally profitable in the past, we said, these look like they're not profitable anymore. And it makes sense that they wouldn't be uh, because of the dynamic we've seen of the entire program sort of taking a hit due to, mar- due to market conditions. One example, um, we have a pretty big postcard farm, you know, for listings. And uh, we it was uh, a size of about 100,000 postcards a month. And we chopped it in half because we were sending postcards uh, to the suburbs, right? To Kyle, Leander, places like that. Um, two reasons why we stopped. One is that those were the least profitable uh, Demos that we had, um, just because for whatever reason they responded at a lower rate. Um, but also, we know that those markets are softer because the builders are slashing their prices right now. So if we were to get the listings, there's a lower likelihood that those listings are going that those listings are going to sell. So it was an easy decision to say, okay, great, we have to cut some expenses. We never want to cut profitable marketing, um, but this looks like it's not profitable. Everything makes sense why it wouldn't be profitable today. Let's go ahead and axe it. Um, I will say you have to have your tracking set up in order to be able to make these informed decisions. You can't make these decisions off of instinct. And so we have unique phone numbers on all of our postcards. We have unique landing pages for them, things like that. We know exactly whenever we send out a campaign what the results are. And if you don't have that data, step one is that you need to set up that system so that you know exactly what the results are.
0: Yeah, that's really brilliant. It's a really brilliant analysis and, and an example. And yes, importantly for whatever strategy you guys are doing, out there being able to absolutely track it it's really easy to get an extra even google phone number like you can you can get 10 different phone numbers you can mark them a certain way so you know that this postcard gets me this or this outbound text gets me this uh our software systems that we have we, it, we people can just add phone numbers like crazy with that idea because you need to be able to track it so whatever method you guys are doing being able to track for this is the amount of money it costs me to get this lead um it also it's it's interesting the outbound marketing I think went way up because agents started to figure out like essentially offices probably cut costs on on inbound marketing and they're like so we need to go back to the free stuff and the free stuff is like walking around and door knocking Yeah right like stopping by someone's house and door knocking it's not free cuz it is just a bear of time and effort right but like or like outbound calling or calling for sale by owners you know, and saying like, Hey, so all this different outbound lead stuff, it makes sense that that went up a ton because that is essentially free or there's a lot of versions of it that are free that people aren't paying for it. Have you, um, have you started trying to renegotiate any of the inbound marketing stuff for some of those other areas or online? I'm guessing on online leads, places like Zillow and stuff, they're going to be like cutting costs. Cutting yeah, prices.
1: I mean, so I don't, I don't buy from any of the traditional uh, lead okay. sources, but um, yeah, so they they sort of adjust themselves, right? I mean, so AdWords is probably our biggest, uh, th- that's probably our, our, our biggest ad platform. And I mean, what we did do on AdWords was we took a really, really hard look at it. And we were able to make that. Uh, make all of those campaigns much more efficient. We were actually able to cut our costs by fifty percent there, but it wasn't through negotiation. It was literally through looking at it and going, "Oh wow, there's a bunch of wasted spend that we didn't realize that we were doing." I'll defend that wasted spend, by the way. Um, whenever times are whenever times are flush, um, you probably don't have the time to look for these inefficiencies because you're so busy closing deals. So you know, if you're looking at the most productive thing you can do in 2021, it's not trying to nickel and dime every single place you can find a little bit of savings. Um, it's literally trying to service all the leads that are coming in. And that is one of the you know, silver linings to a downturn is that it does make you take a really hard look at your waste. And whenever you come out of it, not only do you make more money, well, not only do you make more top line, you also make more profit because you become, a lot, you become a lot more efficient in the process.
0: I would say that's an absolute benefit of a downturn is, being, is actually looking at our expenses. We look closer at our stuff and go, do I really need this or not? And which we should do periodically anyway. But I know that like during you know 2021, especially like all these flips we were doing, like everything was excess. We would overpay for interest carry, for profit splits, everything because there was just so much, right? And there and, and we didn't have time to actually look. And I and hopefully this is a good reminder. Hopefully everybody goes now looks at looks at their expenses, looks at the at the stuff that they're spending on their leads to really dial it in. The, the benefit of the of recessionary times that helps us do that. And then when it turns back up. It's remembering like, oh yeah, we've been amazed at after doing some layoffs and some price cuts uh, and some internal expense cuts in our office, how we've been able to become so much more profitable on a smaller amount of volume, right? We're doing less volume, but we're much more profitable because of some adjustments like that. And I think, and I especially like that idea of your lead comparison that people could try to compare where Eric is, it, it costs Eric the same to send a postcard, to like an outskirt area where the median price is three hundred thousand dollars, to an area in Austin where the median price is six hundred thousand. Postcard costs the same, right? But the but the how but the commission but the revenue on each of those leads is different. So when you are starting to see like what's the, the volume back, and then even more specifically like oh that market in particular has nine months of inventory. So even if we get the listing it's not even going to be so i think people could actually look around their markets and say like what markets have high levels of inventory low levels of inventory month wise and be able to target their postcard campaigns that way and then also by price i bet even on some of that postcard stuff you could filter for you know certain values before it goes out and you know and who knows so i like that comparison of being able to see like hey these are two identical leads uh, sources but the revenue is different so like the 500,000 dollar median price the lead source is profitable the 250 it's not
1: there's a concept in in like e-commerce and online marketing. It's ROAS, return on ad spend. And it's literally the number that you just crunch down. I, I'm spending, you know, for every $1 I spend on this ad campaign, you know, how many dollars come back? And you obviously want a million dollars to come back for every $1 that you spend. Yeah. Um, so you're always just looking for the highest return on ad spend that you could possibly find.
0: Yeah. I love too that when you guys went and looked close at the ad spend, you were just like, you know what? we this There's probably just a more efficient way we can do this. We can get this, maybe it's a similar amount of leads, because we just, you know, you realize there's excess.
1: So, you know, I'll, I'll go on a rant for a second. Google, um, they, they change their, their ad algorithm all the time. And uh, I guess they didn't want to see their revenue go down. So they, they changed, uh, we have like a move to Austin campaign. This is just one example, where for folks that are moving to Austin, they were serving us for every variation of uh, Austin movers. So like people that are actually move like looking for somebody to move them, a mover, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, our uh, you know our our conversion on that was like zero percent. Our bounce rate was almost one hundred percent, and it's because they were just serving us the wrong serving us on the wrong on the wrong keywords. Who knows how long they've been doing it? Year, two years, something like that. We just hadn't really looked at it. So
0: yeah. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just wanted to say as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube, or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them, I listen to them, I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements things like that, and I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you wanna get a, a copy of the toolbox, of the stuff that, you know, everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics, they give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to network.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Ask me a question. I talk to so many of you guys on there. All right. Back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. Well, the, this has been a fun chat, like any other, like, I guess, final inspiration thoughts or things that you think is is really important out there and, or any, any predictions of when you think the, the stuff might turn the other way.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, and I won't make as detailed as predictions as you have, you're very brave and you're very smart. Um, (laughs) I, uh, Stupid, I think things one are of gonna be, no, no. I think you're right, by the way, too. I mean, I think that I, I do think the Fed's going to hold, you know, through the year and uh, hopefully, hopefully not. I'm the optimist here. Maybe Q4. they. Yeah, be the optimist. Of- yeah. <laughs> um, I do think I think 24 is going to be OK. I think that the job market is lagging behind uh, considerably. And I also know that corporations um, won't rush back to, uh, you know, hire again until they know for sure that they have to. There'll be some that, that do it early. Apple probably will. Google probably will. The really, really, really strong companies probably will. But we need, you know, for the market to get truly great again, we really need to see um, some you know, entrepreneurial companies, some, some risk takers get back into the market and start hiring a lot. I don't think that happens again until 2025. I think 24 is going to be okay. I think it's going to be better than this year, but, but yeah. not phenomenal.
0: I agree, man, and I think that the I think people that are out there that are especially like listen to this podcast and like are burning in real estate. this is working in real estate. this is still the absolute best industry in the world. There are plenty of people that I'm interviewing that are still you know making money and surviving, and it's not as easy, but like that right mindset, the people that are growing right now, the opportunities are endless and I have seen and Eric has seen that when it goes the other way, you know a huge, huge businesses are built and born, right? Huge yeah. companies are born. Like when the market turns and all of a sudden, like I would say over the next year is not a time to make a big bet, right? So people are looking at investing or jumping around or like changing industries or things like that. It's not the time for big bets. It's the time for like thriving in the midst of surviving. Cause we're talking about the, the rest of the year is going to be pretty, like pretty okay. Like do what's, do what's working, get some volume to happen. Build some market share. Build some better systems. Make sure your costs are make sure your costs are what they should be, right? Make sure that everything's productive. Like figure out the absolute best system this year. And if you figure out the best system this year, then you're going to survive over the next year. You know, and then the beginning and beginning of next year hits, and it, as it starts to get you know better and better, because also when you just look at historical dates in particular, like around two, you know, between two and three years, it's usually as far as a recession will take before like everything kind of balances out. We see a lot of, you know, where we have prices that have come down, you know, 25, 30% median home price. Right now still there's a lot of those sellers that are just hanging out and they say, I'm gonna only sell for 600. The people can only afford 500 in that neighborhood. So just not much is happening. But it'll take about a year before either some of those people come down from six to five, or some of those people at five realize they really do want to buy the six hundred thousand dollars house because it is that much nicer. But we're just going to be in a stalemate for a while on so much of this stuff as it as it pushes it down. But I love, I do love your optimism uh, with it, and I think I think no, I think it's a great balance because I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Of um of seeing it because when everybody came back into the market in 2012, that wasn't my best time in my business because I liked it better when not as many people were coming in. And so we had we had similar experiences and different experiences and different things we were paying attention to. So I think it's important. But I, I like that you've continued to grow and continue to build and the we'll have to get back on here in a few months again and you know, yeah. talk data and, and and talk some of the other stuff and seeing the update. But has so has your team grown? Has your market share grown in the last nine months?
1: Yeah, definitely. We, last time I talked to you, we were uh, 40 high producing agents and we're 64 high producing agents now. So um, we're, we're real picky about who we hire, um, but we're interviewing people every month. We're hiring people every month. And um, everybody on the team has really, really positive attitude and everybody is focusing on productivity. So I'm real excited about what everybody's doing this year. Really proud of what everybody's doing this year. I'm so excited, so stoked to, uh, to see yeah. what happens. Uh, when the market turns because I think you're going to see some numbers that just knock everyone's socks off. So,
0: yeah. So the, so just, so the proof is there for everybody listening, right? So back in you know September, October, Eric's telling us his plan. He's saying, this is how we should do it. His plan is coming to fruition, right? He's growing market share. He's growing the team. We're going to see that continue to go. So if you guys, can stay positive, stay happy, follow this mindset and these ideas of, you know, growing when it's slow and that, you know, if even you could even have your income go down a little bit and still means that you're growing or, you know, staying the same still means you're growing. So follow that mindset, follow that positivity, and we'll be amazed at what you can do over the rest of the year because I'm super excited for when it turns too, And I'm super excited to see people adjusting uh, everything else. So Eric, uh, thanks as always for coming on. If somebody wants to reach out with you, reach out to you, if they want to send you Austin referrals, ask you more questions. What's the best way they can find you?
1: Yeah. You can Google my name. That's the easiest way. Uh, eric at bramlett.me. That's my, it's uh, my email address. Please hit me up on an email. Yeah. Uh, El Rey de la Salsa on, uh, on Instagram. If you want to hit that up. So.
0: Yeah. No, I, I love chatting on Instagram and, and every other way. We'll go for a bike ride soon. Eric, yeah. thanks again for joining me today.
1: Thanks Aaron. Always fun, man. Thank you so much.
0: Real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening.